Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 166 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we took a deep dive into notifications and reminders and how you might make them work better for you. As we discussed that topic, it became clear that many of us have different approaches in the home and work settings. I really hesitate to use a term like technology schizophrenia, although it might seem that way to some of you, but it does feel like we have multiple technology personalities, at least metaphorically, if not clinically. Tom, (laughs) what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we'll discuss the issues and challenges in dealing with two often very different worlds of work tech and home tech. Uh, In our second segment, we'll talk about the hubbub around rumors that Twitter is going to do away with the reverse chronological order that we all know and love. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But first, let's talk about managing what may be your multiple tech personalities. Unless you work for yourself, you probably find that the technology that is chosen at work often differs from what you would choose to use in your personal life, sometimes by a great deal. This can sometimes lead to what we would think is is a kind of schizophrenia in how we are forced to deal with technology. Dennis, I know we've talked about this topic. We've touched on it in the past episodes, but I think we've handled it and talked about it in different ways. Um, What made you want to dig into it for this episode? Well, I think that uh, I've just run into so many people who talk about having just such radically different technology at home and then at work. I, I know a lot of people who are Mac at home and Windows at work. You and I are both that way with Mac at home, Windows at work. You have people who have iPhone, you know, at home and maybe an Android phone or a BlackBerry even at work. And so there's this big separation that you find. And there are a whole bunch of examples, not just uh, the basic hardware, but but software, services, all these other things. And and so it just made me really focus on it because it seems like these days it's hard enough to keep up with sort of one technology. But if you have two sets of technology, that seems to, to make it even harder then also I think that because uh, for, for a number of reasons we'll go into it, it seems these days that most people have a lot better technology at home than at work. And that didn't always used to be the case. So it was those things that so many people were asking me things and you realize that you were sort of crossing a line or crossing a divide as you went between work and home. And it was a common thing that uh, I wasn't the only one who was facing. So I'm going to probably take somewhat of an issue with you during this episode, and not not too much, but I really want to try to figure out what are we really talking about here in terms of different tech at home than at work? Because to me, I think of myself as somewhat of an exception because I work for a small company. So my home tech works with my work tech. It's just the way it is. Now, you're right. I use some different things at home than I use at work, and I think we're going to talk about some strategies for how you might do that. 
But um, I think that this problem is especially a big deal where, and I think for our listeners, this is probably a bigger deal than people who don't listen to this podcast. But if you really care about technology, if you care about the technology that you use, then I think you're right. You are likely to have better tech at home than you have at work. I would say that there are many people who have really poor or no technology at home because they rely on whatever they get at work. I'd also say that to the extent that, you know, iPads have kind of gone through the roof in the past couple of years and what people have is that automatically gives them almost better tech uh, than what people have at work. But, you know, if the tech is better at home, I really think that there's two reasons for that. The first reason is that work refuses to upgrade. We're not going to upgrade because there's no need to do that. We're, it's, we're perfectly fine with what we have. And, or maybe a slightly related version, which is work doesn't refuse to upgrade, just is unbearably slow at upgrading and does it much longer after you or others have moved on to better and newer technologies. So I think those are some of the reasons why we might see your home technology being different from work technology. But I guess I'll come back and say it. What are we really talking here besides, you know, my work computer, I have a laptop, my home computer, I have that. You know, when we talk about everything else, and I guess to a certain extent, your phone is going to be one. But what else are we talking about here? There's a hardware element, and I think it really comes down to, I mean, you can argue whether it's better tech at home, but it tends to be newer tech. So for me, newer versions of software, uh, just across the board, newer, because you tend to be on a faster update cycle across the board. So what I see a lot of is that people are using an older version, say, of Office at work as opposed to at home. You might be using different email programs. So I know a lot of people use Gmail for personal, and they're using Outlook at work. There can be a lot of separation between that. Tom, we've actually, I've really enjoyed our experiment with Slack just ourselves for the podcast. Uh, but I don't think you would typically see Slack being used in a lockdown workplace, like a law firm. So you're probably going to see SharePoint there. So you'd say in each of these categories, it's possible that I'm using a completely different different set of programs or possibly newer programs at home than what I use in the office. Not a terrible thing in some ways, but it really kind of forces you to think separately about each of the domains that you're in. So does that help you know, lay out my thinking on this? Well, it helps, but I'll push back on that. I'll say, I agree with you on the hardware issue. There's there's not much I can talk about with hardware. With software, I agree wholeheartedly about Office. I like to have the most recent version of Office. I think that there are some real challenges with using different versions of Office. I use the most recent version of Office because I took the time and I spent my own money to get my own Office 365 subscription that's a, for personal use. So I use that software for work as well. And um, everybody else in my company is on Office 2013, which I would imagine most law firms are on. And maybe if they're not on, on Office 2010, they're somewhere in between the two. Um, but I will say that every time I get a document and I save it again, I get the message, you are saving it into the newest format. And for the most part, that doesn't make a huge difference. But I would imagine that there are some times where you have formatting issues or you have features and spreadsheets with formulas or other more complicated spreadsheets 
spreadsheets that could be lost because you're saving it in the different version. I would argue that with email, there are ways to deal with that. We have Gmail because it's a convenient way of, of, of getting our email, but I can get my Gmail through my Outlook just as easily as I can an Exchange email too. So um, I think that the reason why we have technology different at home rather than, I mean, that than it is at the office is simply because it is different. And, you know, very few of us are likely to have Exchange servers at home for email or, or other things that are kind of singular to an office environment. And so to a certain extent, there are a lot of things that have to be separate. I think that you're right, and that gets into the notion of, of workarounds, that there are ways to bring things closer together to make this work. So I think there is, say, there's hardware, there's software, there's the internet services that we talked about, Gmail, Slack, Dropbox, other things like that, that you may or may not be able to use at work, depending on the type of office that you're in. The other thing is what I'll loosely call data or information. So personally, I use things like Evernote. I use OmniFocus as a task manager, um, you know, like I said, Dropbox, other things like that, where they're just things that you sort of do routinely. I might use iCloud or Google Photos, you know, different things like that, um, that I'm just used to using personally. So I would suspect for a lot of people, if you look at your computer and the most commonly used programs and services on your work computer and your home computer, they're going to be different. I think the emphasis is going to be different. And that becomes part of this. And then that gets into the whole notion of siloing, either by policy or by the technology, where you say, boy, I would like to have uh, you know, all my to-dos uh, in one place. I'd like to be able to use Evernote in the same way. You know, I'd like to move things back and forth between work and home. You know, my situation at MasterCard is probably different than other people in how uh, secure environment I work in and how separate those things have to be. And so that emphasizes this notion for me. But I think anybody listening is a, like I said, if you just look at your computers and say at home and work and say, what are the main programs that you use and what you do with them, I think you're going to find that the emphasis is going to be significantly different. And my problem is, is that because of the nature of the company I work for, my experience is not different. I use pretty much what I use at home, what I use, I use it also for work. And so there's two, to me, I agree with you on the idea of workarounds, and, I, and I'll think about two ways to approach the workaround. The first is the more formal way, and I guess it probably didn't start as a formal way, but it has grown into a formal way, and that's the whole BYOD movement, is instead of dealing with tech schizophrenia uh, by having your own stuff at home, bring your own stuff to work and see if you can use it there. We're starting to see more blending in the workplace nowadays. We're seeing offices that are incorporating Macs and Windows. I know that Tech Show has got a session on Macs and Windows in the same office, and not everybody likes BYOD. I mean, there's a lot of our friends who will say that there are downsides to letting your employees bring their own technology in. Security is a main issue. Company information on personal devices, of course, is something you want to, to be able to control or avoid entirely. But the downside to not having a BYOD policy is that workers are going to be forced to stick with an either incredibly slow or no upgrade at work. So really the challenge I see that firms have is that if they don't want personal devices, if they don't like BYOD, 
My personal opinion is they need to be more forward-thinking and responsive to employee technology needs. Now we can all laugh at that and say, ha ha, that's not going to happen. So then for me, that other workaround is you talk about using Evernote and OmniFocus. I use Evernote too. I don't use it for work. I prefer to actually my team uses OneNote, and that tends to be a better note-taking tool for my team. Um, But I use that at home as well. But I guess my question to you is, I'm guessing, and this is part of my ignorance on some of what companies allow and what companies don't allow, my guess is, is that other employers wouldn't allow downloading of the Evernote client to your desktop, but can you still get to the Evernote desktop through a web interface too, or do they block that as well? Well, I think that both things can happen. So one is you may find that you have to get significant approvals and have an application loaded. Uh, So you have to go through an approval process. So that can be a deterrent. The other thing is you may find that in certain cases that you can't upload files. There may be some other things like that. And so it would depend, obviously, on uh, the firm, sometimes the industry, you know, other things like that where there may be some issues on those cases. So those things do come up. I guess, Tom, when I think about this, I sort of divide this into three common scenarios. One is which I call totally synced or almost totally synced, where you have essentially the same thing at home and work. I think you've kind of showed that you fall into that camp. I think that- Pretty close, not exactly. That, but that can close. happen, I think, in smaller companies, smaller firms, Whereas you say you're, even if you have a Mac, you might be able to have a, do a virtual desktop. You may have Citrix. Uh, you can run a program like Parallels or you know another virtual desktop type of program, you know, sync up Gmail or other things through Outlook. So everything's pulling from multiple places and uh, showing up in Outlook for you. So I call that sort of, let's just call it synced. And then also your data is available at home and work in the same way. You see some of the issues with that on the security side, as you alluded to, is is how secure is the home computer as compared to the work computer. But anyway, uh, and BYOD does come into play there. Second category, I would say, where there's some overlap and some syncing. So this is a a kind of middle ground that may be helpful in a lot of ways, but also may give you like not the best of of either world. And then something that I would say I'm probably closer to and probably I'd say lawyers at bigger firms maybe and probably uh, most corporate lawyers as well, where you have uh, either independent systems or parallel systems. For me, those three categories are a useful way to think about approaches and how you might deal with the issues that you run into. Tom, is that a fair assessment? Oh, I think it is. And I think that as you get you know, down to that last category, your options become a little more limited and you've got to make some decisions about how you're going to manage things. Whereas if you've got the ability to either have some overlap and syncing, then you have, I think, a few more options at your disposal for being able to use certain types of tools. And like you say, there are, I think, pros and cons for each approach. What are some of the advantages and disadvantages you see to those approaches? Well, I think that the synced approach, the advantage is that, you know, wherever you are, whatever you're using, you're going to have access to everything in a 
pretty much the same way. So that, I think, is a big benefit of that approach. I think it's sort of hard to do, especially with what we talked about before, is if you have an aging work computer versus newer stuff at home, your experience is going to be different. I mean, you know, if you have a computer with a solid-state drive on it versus one that doesn't, I mean, the performance is just immensely different these days. I think in some ways, for me, having the independent or parallel approach is good because even though there are drawbacks, you sort of know, hey, I can do whatever it is. I'm forced with what I have at work, but I can do whatever I want at home. So in some ways, that lets me be more creative and try more things with my technology at home. And the middle ground, like I said, I think it's, you know, that's where there's opportunity. The synced and the parallel approaches to me are pretty straightforward. I I think what might be interesting for us to look at is where there is some overlap or some potential of overlap, because that's where I think probably most people fall in. And that's probably where you can help yourself the most by thinking through some of these issues. Yeah. And for me, one of the biggest examples of that is with the idea of contacts. I have, I guess, developed the habit of not wanting to keep all of the contacts that I've gathered over the course of my life in my work contacts. I've got my work contacts there, but all my personal and other contacts I prefer to keep with my personal computer, with my Gmail or with my Google contacts or with something like that. But being able to have access to all of those contacts is is, I think, really important still. I still want access to all of them in the same place rather than have to go to two different places. And that's why, um, you know, I'm able to, there are a number of apps that are out there that are very similar to some of the email apps that will allow you to add more than one account. And so there's a contact app. I know Full Contact is one. There are other apps out there that you can say, well, what types of contact accounts do you want to set up? And it'll combine all those for you and uh, and eliminate duplicates and uh, show you what they're doing on social media and do all sorts of powerful things. So I think that, like you said, where there's overlap like that, the opportunity there is to go and try and find the tools that allow you to work in both worlds with minimum friction, while I guess still remaining in compliance with the policies of office uh, to the extent that you have to keep certain things separate. Yeah, I think the contacts thing is a great example because when you have the separate sets of contacts, um, it can be tricky to get those synced up and you probably end up pretty consistently with a couple of different sets of contacts and then not having the information you want when you want it because that's how things seem to work these days. I'd say, you know, bookmarks, other things like that, to the extent you use those things uh, can be different in different places. And then the other one that I think can be really tricky for people uh, because of policies is passwords. So we both use password managers, totally recommend it. Uh, But if you work at a place where the policies says you can't write down passwords or you can't store them in a password manager, then you're really going to feel the difference between home and work on passwords because password managers make such a huge difference. So I guess, Tom, I think that the idea I wanted to talk about is like, how do people deal with this? What are ways to uh, to help yourself when you find yourself in these kind of mixed worlds? Because you do want to kind of cross some gaps and figure out uh, what you can do to help yourself. And I mean, I sort of think it's the, the usual pro- technology approach, which is uh, kind of first admit that you have a problem 
are what we sometimes use as do a little technology audit. But I think that if you, like I said, just start to look at your home screen on your computer at work versus your home screen at home. And and then also just start to think about what's different and where do you run into little problems where you'd like to be able to do the same things in, in both places. And that can sort of point you to some of the opportunities you might have. I mean, I think it's as basic as that, right, Tom? Well, I think so. I mean, my best advice for this is to really find a way to make things overlap as much as possible um, to try and find solutions. So we've talked about a couple of them. If you're using a Mac at home, I have a Mac at home. I use this my desktop computer, but I install Parallels on it to take advantage of Windows. So I can use Word and Excel and Outlook, and I can have access to all of my work stuff here if I wanted to. And so that's how I make that overlap. Um, you mentioned using OmniFocus for your task manager. I think that OmniFocus is widely regarded as one of the best task managers out there. Um, its one limitation is that it's Mac only. That's why the task manager that I've chosen is multi-platform. And so I can access it from an app on my phone. I can access it from a web app. I can access it everywhere. And so uh, I think that that's part of the challenge is, is that once you identify those areas where there might be some separation, where you might be looking at, I have to do it one way for work and one way for home, is to start to think, are there tools that can bring me closer together. Generally, like we've said, this also depends on the policies in your firm or your company. But generally, I find that that overlap usually comes around the internet somehow because the internet is the great equalizer and that finding a tool that you can access just through a web browser in most cases is going to provide enough overlap for you to solve that problem. But not always, but that's why you need to evaluate it and decide what are the most important things you need to take a look at. I would say look for the places that are giving you the biggest sources of stress. And then I also feel that when you're up against policies that seem like they were put in place several years ago that don't apply to now, I think you change policies by giving people specific examples of, of what is a problem, what you want to accomplish, how that would benefit a client, how it's you know safe, it's simple, you know that sort of thing. Uh, and so I think that you do those things. So something like a password manager, once you're able to say, here's how it helps me at home, then maybe you can make the case for changing the approach at work. And then, then I think if you can pick a few of those, for me, it's always three of them, just pick three of them to say, hey, how can I work on this? And so there may be people listening who say, well, what Tom is saying that he can actually grab his Gmail and pull it into Outlook, that may be news to people. And, and so if you do some exploration, talk to an IT person, do a little research, you may find some things that there are ways to go back and forth. Calendaring might be another example where you keep separate calendars or maybe filter out you know, work stuff so it's not going into a Google Calendar, but, you know, get some kind of synchronization. But I think you're right, Tom, it's that ultimately what you're looking for is what I'll call synchronization. So how can I do some things in both places and make that easy and then to kind of simplify things from there so I don't feel that I have to do something completely different in each place? I, I mean, I think that you've really covered it right there. I mean, for me, the idea is 
to not complicate things. And that's why I like the notion of finding a way to make those things overlap as much as possible. Don't force it. You know, there's something to be said about trying to bring about good change at your company in terms of technology. And uh, Dennis will be the first to tell you that having a technology committee that can discuss those types of issues and be a force for change for the lawyers who want to have better technology is a good place to start. But it's also, I think, knowing how far to push. For some companies, uh, the security aspects of this are really significant and need a lot of consideration uh, before sometimes companies make a move, I think. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mall Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. If you have never quite understood how hashtags work on Twitter, there's been a great lesson over the past few days with hashtag RIP Twitter. So rumors surfaced about Twitter moving away from its classic reverse chronological order for delivering your tweets and going to an approach where tweets would be delivered on the basis of some secret algorithm that many felt would be optimized for advertisers more so than for you. Now, I already believe that the Facebook update algorithm for me, must be set on random because I cannot figure out why one update appears ahead of another or why updates from several days ago keep appearing. And I just like that simple reverse chronological order. So my thought when I first started was, oh, not you too, Twitter. So there was a lot of gnashing of teeth and proclamations that Twitter was dead to many after they heard this. So you get the rise of the RIP Twitter hashtag, uh, which definitely got the attention of Twitter when it was trending that people thought that Twitter was going to be dead to them if they moved away from this reverse chronological order. Tom, are you in the uh, say it ain't so Twitter camp on this one? I would say yes and no. I mean, the first answer is, is that technology changes. Things change all the time and we adapt and evolve and move on. You may disagree with me, but Google Reader went away and I think we adapted just fine. The Trio left and was no longer a device I could have anymore and I got along with the new device just fine. And so I think to whatever Twitter throws at us, we will evolve and move on and someone will develop a way to deal with that issue or we'll find a new way to consume our information if we have to. But I have to say, the day that Facebook decided to show me a random set of posts was a very dark day for me. I don't check Facebook all the time. I just check it a couple of times a day. I just want to see what's happened for the past few hours. And with Facebook's default feed, you're going to see posts from all sorts of different times. More than once, I think I have replied to a post that turned out to be several days old. And my response was out of date. Now, that's my bad for not paying attention, but I think it's still confusing. And what's interesting to me is reading about this, I read someone at Twitter said that reverse chronological order isn't the most relevant experience for a user which I think is kind of insane, frankly. I, one of the most popular uses of Twitter, maybe not insane, but maybe 
maybe just doesn't understand the user of the product. Because to me, one of the most popular uses of Twitter is to provide running commentary on something that's happening live. Political debates, conference presentations, the Super Bowl. We're recording this just after the Super Bowl. And my gosh, all we saw were people who were commenting on that. If suddenly you're seeing things out of time, it would be, I think, a really bad experience. However, I will say that if the goal is to show you what's relevant, so if I could catch up a feed that was ordered on what's most important to me, um, wouldn't be a entirely bad thing. I could quickly catch up on the stuff that I missed. And I think that's the goal is while you are out, this were the sorts of things that you missed. And I wouldn't have to go through all the junk because there's a lot of junk on Twitter. So for me, I would want to have the ability to have both of these views, a view for what's relevant and a view for what's recent, frankly. I, I've read that Twitter's going to give users the ability to opt out of this new format but that it will probably be the default. So I, I may be thinking about changing out of the default. I think choice, though, is generally a good thing. And I hope that Twitter makes that choice easy. Well, I think choice is the key. And for longtime users, and you and I are about as long time as it gets on Twitter, that the idea for me would be, hey, if I can just go back to the classic style, that's fine. And I think the trouble is that when people say, oh, you know, this isn't the best way because we've figured out this algorithm that can bring you the most relevant tweets for you. And I say, well, you know, there is a trade-off and that there's a certain appeal to that that says, if you could figure out what's best, then I don't have to sift through things in reverse chronological order that don't make that much sense to me. I think that works if they actually get it right. So I don't see Facebook getting that right for me. I've been experimenting with Amazon's recommendations and uh, adjusting those, and I'm not wowed by that at all. So I'm not sure that the trade-off is there yet. I don't think they do a good job of targeting ads at me, so I doubt that they can get my timeline in the order that's most relevant to me. And I also think you're right that, especially after the Super Bowl and stuff, when you watch stuff in real time or there's real time news thing, you want that reverse chronological order to see what's going on. And I just think it would be weird to say, if you're watching a football game nowadays and there's a play and there's a challenge, you kind of want to see what other people think. Oh, was he out of bounds? Whatever is one way to use, you know, Twitter real-time search. I just think it would be weird if you, you know, there were a challenge flag thrown and you didn't see anything on Twitter until about a half hour later where somebody says, you know, there's a tweet that says, can't believe he threw the challenge flag there. You know, I don't know that that's helpful. So hopefully they don't go that direction. But I think, Tom, you know, change is inevitable. There's been a zillion changes to Facebook. There's been a zillion changes to other things. We sort of adapt uh, if it's a big enough issue for people. I mean, I hope Twitter gives us a classic view, but probably some Twitter app will allow us to be able to sort the tweets in the way we want. And maybe ultimately that's the biggest benefit that comes out of this. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I have mentioned the Note to Self podcast on previous uh, episodes before. Note to Self is from uh, WNYC. It's talking about kind of the social aspects and dealing with technology in a human way, which I think provides some fantastic advice and ways of dealing with technology on a human level. This past week, they introduced something called Info Magical, and it's designed to attack the problem of information overload. It says, ever want to be more creative, more knowledgeable, more up-to-date on the news, more in touch with family and friends, more in tune with yourself, and uh, they want you to take part in some experiments designed
designed to help you focus and discover the magic of clear thinking and to reduce information overload in your life. There's five podcasts. They're all about 15 minutes each to listen to, maybe a little more, some of them. They provide some interesting suggestions for changing the way that you consume information or deal with it to try to take back your life and get away from information overload. I can't say that I want to try all of them out, but I'm intrigued by them. And so all you need to do is head over to wnyc.org slash infomagical, uh, and you can uh, try it out for yourself. You know, I admired the effort of those. I was a little bit underwhelmed with the actual suggestions, but I think for other people, they could find some really valuable suggestions there. I just kind of fell in the not for me category. I did too on some of them, but I would say that for a lot of people, the small steps are good steps. Right. So as uh, listeners know, Tom and I love our Amazon Echoes, and we probably love even more Amazon Prime. And if the free two-day shipping was not enough to make you an Amazon Prime member, it's really interesting how they're starting to add more benefits for Prime members, video, music, all the things associated with the Amazon Echo. So our friend Sabrina Pacifici at uh, bespecific.com posted a link the other night to a new Amazon Prime membership benefit, which is, I think it's six months free digital access to the Washington Post, and then a, a discount after that trial period. I went to law school at Georgetown. I've read the Washington Post all the time when I was in law school, and this is really appealing to me for that reason alone, especially in an election year. I also think it shows you the way that Amazon is starting to load up that Amazon Prime with some really interesting benefits beyond just the shipping thing, which people already love. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. You can also find the podcast in your favorite podcatcher of choice. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.